Welcome to Smashing Through Walls with Carla McGee. Whether you are just pulling up a seat to the table, breaking a glass ceiling, or smashing through walls, grab your favorite mug and join us on the first and third Friday at 11 o'clock for candid conversations with industry experts and decision makers as we navigate and explore all the things related to real estate and community. Good morning, Wall Smashers. I am so excited today. You guys have no idea. I have two clients that have turned friends, and we are talking all things house hacking today. So I met Brandon and Brandon, who y'all are going to meet here in a second, when each one of them came to me for their variety of needs for what they were doing with their house hacks, and I can't wait for them to explain it to you. So we will start in alphabetical order. We'll go to Brandon Andriola. Hi, Brandon. Hey, Carla. That's a sick intro. Thank by the you. Way. Love I, it. I created it. Kind of <laughs> like I. It was my idea. Very cool. So tell us a little bit about yourself, and we won't go too far in the weeds yet. Just super high level on like how how you and I met and what we did. So I was moving from North Carolina to Phoenix, mm-hmm. and that move was based on looking at Phoenix and being like, hey. It's a really growing market right, opportunity. You know, it's the fastest growing city in the country over the last 10 years. So my wife and I, as we were getting out of the army, really needed to find an agent who knew what house hacking was. Mm-hmm. That's probably the most important thing is uh, getting connected with the right people. Real estate's a relationship business. So she was all over Instagram, right? Looking up hashtags, hashtag house hacking, Phoenix, right? And uh, you were popping up all over. Nice. So um, It was working. Exactly. Because <laughs> it can go bad if you don't have the right agent. That's true. 100%. Um, yeah. So we found you. And so every market's different for house hacking. So Phoenix, maybe you don't want to do a multifamily house hack. There's other options. So you can go with a, a property with, you know, say a guest house. Mm-hmm. And you can either Airbnb the guest house out or you can rent it out. And you can come pretty darn close to covering your full mortgage. So every market's different. Phoenix, definitely the Airbnb trick's pretty good. So mm-hmm. we pull in fourteen hundred for the rent, and the mortgage was around seventeen hundred. So you can see that's a, a so pretty you're living good in your house for three hundred for three hundred. And yeah. how much has it appreciated since we put you in it? Their most recent comp sold for five seventy, and I bought it at three seventy. So. Nice. You must have had a good room. Killer agent, <laughs> Carla, with the hookup. Nice. And I can't wait to talk to you more because we did VA financing, which has its own unique skill set. Also, again, hiring the right people. But Brandon Knutson, how did we meet? What was your house hack? So we met through Instagram. Um, I'm also a transplant plant, like Brandon from Wisconsin. Um, I was already in Phoenix. Um, we just met through Instagram, I think organically. I was posting stuff. You're obviously posting real estate all the time. Uh, we connected that way. Obviously, I could tell early on how knowledgeable you were about the investment side, not just buying and selling, you know, residential stuff, but the investment side, which really drew me to you as a realtor. And just kind of when we started talking was kind of when we were looking to grow the next property. Yep. So bought a couple up in northern Arizona um, and we rent those out now. But And you were already living in your I house. I was. Hack. I was already house hacking when we had met a different realtor. Um, but I was house hacking. Um, not quite the numbers Brandon had, but we got really great appreciation in the 18 months we lived there. And that's what afforded us to sell it and, you know, kind of turn into the next uh, next chapter yep. for us. 
So you were living in a duplex and yep. you were living on one half and then renting out Correct. The other yeah. Half. So we got inherited tenants, uh, scary yeah. for some people. Um, but they were okay tenants. They paid um, usually, you know, a couple days after the first, which we gave some leniency because they were existing. They paid cash and they paid every month. Um, so yeah, we had a, a existing tenants and we lived in one side. I think our numbers worked out at the beginning. We actually took a down payment assistance loan. Nice. Uh, so we were paying a higher interest rate, which we were okay with. Um, and I think our bills came out to like 600 a month, which was about what we were paying at our our apartment that we moved from. Right. But, you know, the equity was coming into our pockets and our foot into the door really in real estate. So. Right. And by the time I had met you, you were interested in selling the duplex. You had already bought a new primary resident with residence with your wife. Yep. And you were like, how can I utilize this investment to, yes. to leverage into more investments? And I was like, 1031. Yeah, exactly. I obviously had had some background of what 1031 was, but you were more knowledgeable than I was. So thanks for the help on that. But yeah, the market really helped us out. I mean, you know what we sold it for. So the value really shot up and it made sense to sell. So yeah. And to leverage it into now two investments instead of one. Yep. And we went the Airbnb route, which is, you know, great cash flow. So it's worked out well. Yeah. We found some pretty cool properties for you to, uh, to, to rent out. Yep. So two totally different scenarios, but same kind of mindset and strategy, right? Yep. So Brandon A, we took his VA benefits because he, um, he was in the army. So he has that benefit. And we used his VA loan to put he and his wife into a house that has a casita and then he rents the casita. And then Brandon K was already in a duplex. We sold that duplex yep. to leverage into two Airbnb properties up in like Sholo, White Mountain area. Yep. How are those going? Uh, good. Uh, we're definitely, we're about to hit two years in February, March of next year. Already? Yeah. Holy cow. And it feels like 10 years right. <laughs> with some of the guests that we have. But no, it's been great. And there's that we're still learning, you know, the busy seasons, the slow seasons. Right. We're still, you know, tinkering with our pricing and and different fees and stuff to try to help our guests out and, and what kind of fees that they pay. So it's all a learning experience, but it's going really well. Um, I, I think you told me that you're getting uh, a lot of traveling nurses up there. Uh, so that was last year. Oh, um, I think so with, yeah, year. not so much this year. Okay. Um, last year was, we had a really good year. We were in business operating both properties for probably eight and a half months of last year total. Um, and we did really well, but yeah, we had three long-term guests. One stayed there for three months. One was there for four months. Mm. So it, so it took care of, you know, all our bills and, and really good. Um, but this year, not so much traveling nurses and yeah, we're kind of running into some slower months now and winter, but you know, you just balance your budgets and make sure yeah. you have enough money for all year. So, and we're still, you know, cash flowing positive every month. So that's all that matters. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Brandon, I know the question that's going to come up for you, Brandon A., is that how'd you use your VA loan, right? Because you own property in where you came from in North Carolina. And a lot of people think that you cannot then continue to use a VA loan in another state or another area. So explain to everyone like why and how, because you can explain it better than I can. That was also the question I had for him ahead of the show. (laughs) Right. Same question. That's probably one of the biggest misconceptions Mm -hmm. is you can only buy, you can only use your VA loan once. Now, that's not really accurate. You have a certain amount of entitlement. So, for example, the first property I bought in North Carolina, also a house hack, um, I bought that for 85000 and that was in 2018. 
um, plugged uh, some friends in as roommates. So it was just a four-bedroom house that um, they paid me a couple hundred bucks in rent, and it covered my mortgage that was like 600 bucks. So, But because that purchase price was so low, 85000 when I moved here, I had remaining entitlement left. So I think the total that you can use is somewhere in the, the ballpark of 450, 470, um, uh, a little over that. Yeah, 470 to 480. So as long as you're under that threshold, you know, if, if you buy one house right now for, you know, you have a VA loan and you bought a $500,000 house, you don't have entitlement. You're not going to have any left. Yeah. Right. But if you're in somewhere like Ohio or, you know, you buy a condo for $200,000 and you plug a roommate in there, you know, you can get creative with house hacking. That's definitely something that you can re-deploy uh, is using that VA loan benefit. Um, same goes for FHA, though. You can use an FHA right. loan multiple times mm-hmm. and people don't think you can. But, mm-hmm. you know, so for everybody out there, you can use an FHA loan once, 3, 3.5% down. Mm-hmm move a couple years later, whatever, grow the family, and you can reuse it again. So it's, they're powerful tools and it doesn't take a lot of cash out of pocket to get into real estate. Right. You know? Well, and then that's a benefit you have from serving in our military. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you. Um, but not everybody has that. Right. With Brandon Kay, we had to get a little bit more creative because without giving out too much personal information, you had purchased a house, your primary residence. And so we were trying to leverage into two more properties. Even when you're leveraging with a commercial loan, they still look at your debt to income ratio and everything that they normally would. So tell everybody what we had to do to kind of get creative to put you into those two extra properties. We just had to work with numbers, really. Um, Lender, the lenders that I used, you know, there was a lot of acting going around and just trying to move some different things around, pay off some debts if we could, stuff like that. But yeah, the thing that really hurts my wife and I is I have a lot of college debt. So I run into DTI issues, um, which, you know, is unfortunate, but that was my choice with college. Um, it is what it is and, and we're figuring it out. But yeah. And I think, didn't we have to use a lender that used pr- uh, private funds? They weren't like, it wasn't conventional type funds. It was more of a private type loan. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And so we have to have those relationships. Yes, yeah, yeah relationships to know who to are call. exactly right. Yeah, and you're great. Yeah, that's what you you know you had. <laughs> I didn't have, so right. thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your two properties, just kind of like visually, so people can picture like what they are up in the White Mountains, because everybody thinks Arizona. We all live in yes, like the middle of the that dirt, is what, right? Yes, exactly. Um, so Northern Arizona, if you're from the Midwest, like I am, or Pacific Northwest, I mean, it's green, there's trees, mm-hmm. it gets weather, you know, snow, rain, all of that. It's just not as cold from where I'm from in Wisconsin. Um, but you get all the seasons, you get everything. Our first property we bought was a cabin. I think it's got faux siding. It's not the traditional, you know, true log cabin, but it looks like a cabin, thousand square feet, you know, in the pines. And then our second one is a smaller house but does well on Airbnb as well. But I think it has 800 square feet total. So there's smaller properties, but that's kind of our niche. We realize we don't have the cash that other people have, right? And we were working on a fixed 1031 budget. We bought the size that we could afford and, you know, cheaper mortgages and Airbnb cash flow as well. So it does well with smaller properties. Yeah, I think so. Because 
I think you have like kind of two short-term rental type people. You have one that's renting like a huge house yep. and they want to hang out like with multiple families yep. or something like that. And then you have another type that's either just like a couple or a couple with maybe one or two kids. And they just kind of want a small area because yep. they just want to go dink around and that And so town. many people want to escape the heat. So yes. it's huge in the summer for people down here in the valley to go up there. And I'd say our cabin is definitely the family. And so is the other one. But the other one is kind of uh, cheaper on the market. And we did that strategically. And we just get yeah. a lot of last minute bookings. Right. So, which is fine. Yeah, um, that's great. So. Hey, it's hot here this weekend. Yeah, exactly. I want to see what's available. Exactly. And, I, and oh, we're look, always, yeah, exactly. So they've worked out well. That's cool. Yeah. So back to like financing, right? So we, there's typical financing methods are VA, if you're a veteran, FHA. Um, most, a lot of people call that first time home buyer loans, mm-hmm. but really it just means low down payment. Pros and cons of FHA is that it has PMI, which is private mortgage insurance. Um, because you put little down, the lenders look at you like, okay, well, that means you're kind of a risk because if you leave this this loan, you don't have a lot of skin in the game. So we're going to charge you mortgage insurance. FHA, as of 2013, you have to refinance your house to drop the PMI. You can't. It used to be like conventional where you could live in it for two years. And if you gained enough value, yep. it could, you could drop it off. Conventional then is what most people think of when they think of buying a house, right? Um, it's as little as like 5 to 20% down and, you know, you roll with it that way. I talk about all that so that people know that there's multiple options to get into, let's use multifamily, for example. Yep. Brandon was in a duplex. That's two units. That means it was him, him and his wife and then a neighbor next door. That could include a triplex which is three units, and also up to a quadplex, which is four units. And that's all residential financing, right? So I think a lot of people don't know that they could live in four units, live in or purchase four units, live in one, and then rent out the other three to tenants that were either inherited or that you find on your own, like Brandon A. did. And then they essentially pay for your mortgage. So I know you talked a little bit about numbers, Brandon. So talked about like how you how you found your tenant, what challenges you've had. Because we put you in like, it was a pretty nicely remodeled house and yeah. it had its own separate casita with a separate um, entrance and everything. Right. So can I touch on loans real quick? Yeah, do it. Okay. So yeah, there's a, a bunch of different loan options and going back to Brandon Kay, the importance of one lender might not be a good fit, but because you could have, you know, We'll go, you know, um, you go to Wells Fargo or Chase Bank or... One of the mega ones. Or yeah. one of the mega ones. They're going to have different requirements, right? So even though one turns you down and says, hey, you know, like you don't fit our credit requirement. Well, there's lenders out there who deal with low credit. Say, you know, uh, DTI, right? Um, debt, debt to, to income. income ratio, yes. Saying <laughs> like, hey, you know, they add up your car payments, your credit cards, your your other loans, your student loans. There are lenders out there who have different overlays. So there's not a set overlay in, mm-hmm. in particular. So banks set their own. So don't just go to one bank. Look, you want to maybe go to a mortgage broker. A mortgage broker, they work for multiple banks and they can submit your, your application to a bunch of different banks to find one that works for you. Because if you could just go to one, for example, the one I was working with, Right. To, to purchase my property. Right. We had a nightmare. Dude. <laughs> I asked the right questions up front. Right. Some banks, like I'm saying, they have different requirements. Yeah. I had a rental property in North Carolina. Right. Well, you can offset that 
with a lease. As long as you have a lease agreement, then some banks will say, okay, I'm not going to count that debt. I'm going to cancel it out. So that brings your debt to income lower because they're not counting that as debt. Well, this one, I asked this up front. I said, hey, I have a rental property. I want to make sure that we can use that. Otherwise, I'm going to run into DTI issues, mm-hmm. right? That, that's going to make it so I can't buy a house. And he ran the numbers and he was like, yeah, yeah, you'll be good. You'll be good. Well, it gets to underwriting and the bank's like, no, we're not accepting that because, you know, you don't have property management experience or you haven't owned it for two years. We almost lost the house because of that. Almost lost the house. Yeah. So different situations, lenders are going to have different criteria. You have to go to uh, different lenders. You have to have, it's a relationship business, real estate. So it's who you know, who can solve this problem that I have right now. And that problem was, hey, the bank is, you know, not counting my lease to offset my mortgage. There are banks out there who will do that. And there's banks out there who will, who will do it as long as you have a property manager. So that gets right. rid of the property management right. experience requirements. So. Well, and so just to talk on that specific, your specific scenario, I remember being on the other end on the phone and the listing agent is screaming at me. He is so mad because I have to call and update him. This lender ghosted us, right? Like he, when he realized he couldn't do the loan, he was, he just stopped calling us. Nope. So the, he's screaming at me. Um, and I'm just like, I'm basically like, no, I have really good buyers, really good buyers. Yeah. I pro- like, how do, how can I tell you other than I promise you? And I'm always trying to think of solutions. And so I was like, let's do this. Who's your preferred lender? And so he told us, and I was like, what if, what if they run, how, what if he runs their information and, and he can see that they're totally qualified? They're great. They're golden. Like, this is good. This literally was a lender problem. This is not a buyer problem. And so he's like, okay, one chance, tell him do it now. I'm texting, Brandon, do it now. Fill it out yeah, now. Yeah. Here's the link. Yeah. Um, because we had to get, we had to smooth things over on that side because now we're in breach of contract and you guys were at risk of losing your right. earnest mm-hmm. money and in breach, but you still want this house. So yeah. how are we going to continue? You can't get a loan in 24 hours. So how are we going to do this? Um, but yeah, I remember like sitting with, like I was vacationing at the beach and sitting like against the wall in like a closet trying to make these phone calls going, oh my God. What she works on vacation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we ran into similar issues with ours, right? right. Of just like DTI issues and they couldn't yep. make it work. And the COVID like policies oh. changed during the middle of, yeah. of this whole scenario. Yep. So it was a nightmare. And but, there was question marks because like yeah. student, not only COVID policies, but then student yes. loans student with COVID lo- yes. policies that no one had an answer yes. to. Right. Like they created this Weird like. Times. And yeah. changing like the month before we're doing this stuff. So <laughs> yeah, it was a mess, but we got through it luckily. <laughs> thank, thank you. But yeah. We just roll with it. Yeah. Yeah. You got to have like a Rolodex of lenders that you can call. (laughs) Well, and that's why I always, you know, it's really important to have really frank, candid conversations with your clients and for them to be transparent with me about what we're doing, why we're doing it, how we're doing it, what your funds are. You know, these are really vulnerable conversations, but you have to trust me because then I know how to pivot. I know where to put you. I know who to put you with because I know what your intentions and your goals are. Because if I just called Bank of America, you're screwed. Yeah, right. Yeah. But there's people that fit in that box. And then let's do that because you could save some money or, you know, like, we just need to know what that looks like. You got to head those problems off up front. Let's look at the situation. Where are we at? So then 
we can move forward. Again, with that problem yeah. solving, right? And that's yeah. the importance of having a realtor too. A lot of people want to do the for sale by owner oh, because yeah. they think they can save their 6%. But I mean, what are you losing in knowledge and, and right. relationships that a realtor may bring in and yeah. problem solving that you may not have? Yep. Some people want to do that. I'm perfectly fine paying a realtor some good money to. Yeah, I outsource anything. I'm. Yeah. I, that's not in my core competency. Yep. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and speaking of which, one of yours was a for sale by owner. Yes. Now that it was. I now that you say that, <laughs> and I remember. And I think we got a really good deal on it. We did. I don't <laughs> because think, of that. Yeah, he didn't. A he didn't realize his value. Yeah. Pick the pictures. I don't know if you remember on Zillow, their fingers were in front of the camera. <laughs> nice. It looks such like, a classic, right? like yeah. such dark pictures. Yeah. It looked like a 1980s home, but it yeah. was actually really nice on the inside. Yeah. So, yeah. Like jackpot. Yeah. yeah. It was. Well, it was. and I remember when I wrote sat the- on the market for like a week or two, which at that time, if it was sitting for more than a week, it was something there was, was wrong, wrong with it. it. Yeah. Right. And then there were some challenges because I remember the lender thought it was a mobile home, but it wasn't a yes. mobile home. Mostly because up there, a lot of things are. Yeah. And it was kind of like a rectangle with siding. Yeah, it's, hard, it's hard to tell. Yeah. Because so, all the homes are rectangles up there. So it could be mobile, it could not right. be. Right. Yeah. And so they thought they classified it wrong. So we had to work through that. Um, I think on their contract, on the purchase contract, I went very buyer heavy. Right. Yeah. Whereas in that market, I would have went really seller heavy yep. to try and get you under contract. So we were able to get you things that like yeah. I wouldn't have been able to get otherwise. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's awesome. And you talked to them. So I don't know if they gave you a reason why, but you know, a lot of people get hurt by realtors in the past or they think they can save the money. Yeah, they but usually just think they're smarter yeah, than me. Is that what it that is. too. Yeah. 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 So, or they like, they, what happens? And in fact, I just got a review from someone that was like, your, you know, your knowledge and everything made this look really easy and we appreciate it. And I think that that works to our favor and against us because like my job is to make it easy for you. That's literally why you're paying me is so that I take the burden of all your worry and all your stress and like try and help smooth this out and problem solve and all the things. In doing that, I make it look like this is an easy job. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So then you're like, next time you're like, Man, that chick made like twenty thousand dollars on this. I could totally do that. Yeah, not much work. Yeah, easy, she just right? showed yeah. up and like wrote some contracts. <clears throat> I bet I could find those on LegalZoom. Yeah, <laughs> and then next thing you know, you're in a precarious situation. And even practicing outside of your scope, because I remember another thing we came across was um, so when you had purchased your duplex with your previous agent, who was a residential agent, we were selling yours, and the deposits were on there, and you were like, "Yo." I never got the deposits. Yeah. I was like, they don't belong to you. You have to give them yep. back. Imagine if that error was times four units or yep. times 10 units or a yeah. hundred units. I mean, I think it was like 500 bucks, which isn't a big deal at the time, but it could have been 5,000. Yeah. It could have been Could have been a big bill, yeah. 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 And then as a realtor, you're not supposed to practice outside of your scope or outside of your expertise. And that's why, because that's not in your best interest, right? Yep. So I use that example in some of my classes because it's like, had that been $50,000, now you could have sued that agent yep. who then would have to invoke her E&O, her error and emissions um, insurance, who then would have said, were you practicing outside of your scope? Oh, you were? We're not going to cover you. So then you loop in the broker and sue them who also says, were you practicing outside of your scope? Oh, you were? So we're not going to cover you. And now you're personally liable for that $50,000. Yeah. yeah as an example. So there's like, and people like to sue. So it's scary. They're sue happy. Well, especially when they feel like they got like gypped or jaded. And like you're talking, if the money's 50,000, right? That's, that's not a chump change, right? It's a big sum. So seen lawsuits over washers and dryers. Yeah. That too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's because Brandon's face was like, well, yeah. Um, (laughs) It's because it was multifamily property 
if you add wash it, so it's being sold on Performa. And what that means is being sold like as it could be, you know, if you do yes. all these things. Yep. So what the realtor was telling them is if you put washer and dryers in here. You get more rent. You get more rent. Well, then they didn't get more rent. Mm-hmm. So then they sued her yeah. for the difference for the year. Yeah. Wow. And I think that was like a 14 unit property. Wow. So, yeah. So it's people take their money very seriously. Yes, they do. Yes, yeah. they do. Okay, so going back to house hacking, how'd you guys even like hear about this? How like how'd you even think about it? Were you listening to podcasts? Were you just like trying to go to bed one night and we're like, I should rent out a duplex? I'll start. Go ahead, Brandon. I'll start. Uh, I think the first time I really thought about it is uh, I was in Louisiana on a training exercise and we were getting rained on. We were outside in like a, a state of emergency. So like we're thinking, all right, yeah, we're gonna get it pulled out of the field, right? And we just kept getting rained on. So you're like saving people literally and you're thinking about house hacking. Like, so that's a special person, right? Yeah, it was like, it was, you know, a training exercise. So we were down there and, you know, training for for a wartime scenario. And yeah, it was just downpouring rain. And I'm so cold and haven't slept for multiple days. And, you know, getting woken up at two o'clock in the morning from flooding. And I'm like, okay, this is not the most comfortable I think I have a, you know, a higher utility. So I think I could use my head to make money, you know? So that I think that's what I'm going to do while I'm in the Army. I think I'm going to start studying to set myself up for uh, when I leave. Because a lot of people have a difficult time transitioning. But if I already know what I'm going to do, then, you know, I'll be set. Makes so sense. I started diving into real estate. I Google real estate, right? And I'm like, oh, how do, how do you get into real estate investing? And I find bigger pockets. I'm sure you guys know what bigger pockets bigger is, pockets, right? Yep. If you don't know what bigger pockets is, I highly recommend you check it out. They have podcasts, hundreds and hundreds of podcasts, books on how to analyze a rental property, house hacking, any question you can think of. Tons you know, of forums with real yeah. or with uh, real estate uh, investors. Investors, yes. you can network. Yep. You know, it is a relationship game. So you know, I could have met Brandon on there yep. or mm-hmm. Carla and. So, yeah, it's it's important to really dig into, okay, um, you know, I think I want to buy a house because I know real estate goes up in value over time. Well, what if I could, what if I could live for free? Oh, that's a thing? I can live for free? Like, let me figure out how to do that, you know? That's a good question. If you have that question, you will find that answer, you know? So it's really about thinking up the right questions. And guys, we live in the age of information. You can Google anything right yep. now and right. find an answer, you know? So there's there's tons of professionals you can go to, right? You, you can look up in, uh, agents who are investor savvy and they can save you a lot of the time to, you know, they, they already know what works in that market. Mm-hmm. So they're going to guide you along the right way. As long as they know what they're doing, a lot of agents do not know what they're doing right. when it comes to investing. But um, it's surrounding, asking the right questions, Google and then finding the right people, and that'll set you up for success. So and something as simple as like following other investors in your market on Instagram or whatever social media you choose. Like I follow a bunch of Phoenix area investors and see what they're doing, design choices that they do, mm-hmm. what properties they're buying, stuff like that, just so that I have some extra knowledge. Exactly. Like success leaves clues. So like if you yeah, want to get into exactly. flipping, follow some flippers, yep. see what they're doing, right. you know? Um, exactly. Just get around those people and inevitably uh, you're going to pick up some things that will help you out. Exactly. Well, in like social media, 
is such a great tool, right? Like you were saying, follow some, follow some flippers, follow yeah. some other house hackers, follow people that are kind of doing what you want to do. And then in turn, realtors aren't always the bad guys. Follow them too, because yep. certain ones know what they're doing. You guys follow right. my Instagram. That's all I talk about all the time is yep. house hacking and loans and commercial properties and investments, investments. and like, yep. right. And just on and on. Like if you were, if someone was to follow someone like me, they would just be downloading information free Absolutely. all the time. Yeah. And you hit the stuff like 1031s yep. and FHAs and, you know, the stuff that not a lot of people get knowledge about. So, and even when they do get the knowledge, there's so much yeah. to learn. Why not piggyback or utilize someone who's done multiple over and over to know what their unique situation are? I have people that come to me um, with their primary residents who are like, I want a 1031. I'm like, you don't even have to do that because yep. you're exempt. Exactly. Right. You're yeah. exempt. Not uh, a lot of people know that. No, yeah. 250,000 or 500,000 for married. a married. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So we don't need a 1031. We yep. could just sell it and roll it. Exactly. You guys had already bought your house. So I was like, it's not your yeah. primary residence anymore, but yep. that's cool. I got your back. Yep. We can do a 1031. Yep. Again, awesome. those like conversations up front. Right. Yeah. So bigger pockets, they reached out to me. I don't know three or four months ago about being one of their preferred agents so nice. that when you're Googling agents yeah. through bigger pockets, you yeah. see, Car well, they want to charge me $2,000 a month. I was going to oh, say, yeah, really? what's the fee with that? Yeah. And then, and that was for, I can't remember now. That was for like 20 leads or something mm. like that. And then yeah. per lead after that. Yeah, you get to piggyback off their name. Yeah. 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 And I was like, I already piggyback <laughs> off your name, <laughs> yeah. bro. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because people call off bigger pockets or like I can tell based on the questions that they're asking. Um, because bigger pockets teaches the one percent rule. Yeah. Brandon, yes. what is the one percent rule? So the property should rent for one percent per month. So, you know, for example, my first property bought it for eighty five thousand. I should get 850 in rent. And that's a quick rule of thumb that it's kind of off it's the gonna, hip. Yeah. Yep. Off the hip. Okay. You know, this might be a good deal. It'll do okay as a rental. You know, it'll be a good entry point. So a lot of people gauge that. If it's a hundred thousand dollars, it should rent for a thousand dollars. Well, in a lot of markets, you are not gonna hit that, especially no. a market like Phoenix, where you have high job growth. Um, Arizona's number two in income growth in the country. Mm -hmm you have a lot of people wanting to move here. So you're not going to get those rates that you find in, you know, central Ohio, you know, right. it, it's more desirable. And because it's more desirable, the, that, that rent is not going to quite meet the 1% rule. Right. right now, and so. the people with cash too can pick up those deals in a, you know, a Phoenix market that are the 1% or There's above. And, deeper pockets here yeah, for sure. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So then Brandon A and I have talked about this a lot. So then what would we tell them? We tell them we are not a cash flow market. We are an appreciation market. Right. Right. So what you're looking at today may seem like a high price and it yep. may not meet that 1% rule. Doesn't mean it's not going to in three years, five years, 10 years. Right. I bought in tomorrow, 2020, <laughs> right? November of 2020. Yeah. Right now I could get approximately uh, total rent from the guest house, 1400 plus. The main residence would rent for twenty four hundred, so that puts you at thirty six, yeah. uh, just shy of you know. The Still 1 pretty decent, though. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. good. Thirty eight, yeah. Your house appreciated while we were under contract. Yeah, 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 and it appraised at nice. more than what <laughs> oh, we nice. had him under contract for, which just made. I've only had that once. Nice between yeah. refis and buying yeah. one time that the appraisal came above. Where was that? That's all. Sholo. 
And so it was one thousand dollars above the purchase price. <laughs> hey, Nothing it crazy. Makes you but feel good. Though. It does You're make like, you feel good. I just did a good yeah, thing. Because right. the four before that, I was like, is that even a thing? Or they just automatically like appraise it to your price. Yeah. And then we got a thousand extra dollars, which is a thousand extra dollars. So right. That's the Phoenix market. That's bigger pockets. That's why it's different. So when people do call me, because now they're they're Googling yep. realtors and they're doing and they find me, I can tell by some of the things they say, like 1% and stuff. Like, I know what you're saying. I, I hear you. House hacking is a bigger pockets term. I don't even know where that came from. I don't from, even know. It, it actually is. Uh, Brandon Turner, the That's what, yeah. original podcast host, yeah. he coined it. Yes. Did he? It kind of like took off. Yeah. Was, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, yeah. I don't even know what we called it before that. Yeah. Right. Because... When we looked at living in a duplex and renting out one side, I just literally called it living in a duplex yeah, and right. renting out one exactly. side. And it's probably been happening forever, right? right? Yeah. But, yeah. yeah, and that was like early 2000s. Yep. Now that you have like a word for it, you yeah. know, that's, that's kind of branded, like house hacking. Right, you, know? you should have trademarked you know? that. Yeah. Maybe I should trade it. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Let's, let's there you go. On the list. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I can tell when they come off that, yep. like kind of what they say. And then part of the education of the Phoenix market versus other markets, and you guys have lived in other markets, so you know. Yep you know, that there is a big difference. The houses don't appreciate there like they yep. do here. They, you don't see these huge gains um, or sometimes any gains. Yep. Like it's just kind of flat. Um, and I think the reason for that is back to what Brandon was saying is like just our job growth, you know, consistently, not just over the last couple of years, over the last couple of decades. Yeah. Like it's just, yeah. I moved here in 96. Yeah. And that just ages me a little <laughs> bit. But because um, I was an adult, a young adult, but still an adult. And since then, I mean, I've seen what has taken off. And even back then, like, I came from the Seattle area, and this was the big city. Yeah. Like, I was like, holy cow, this place is huge. Um, one of my friends got, like, carjacked. I didn't know that oh, was wow. a thing outside of movies. Um, I was like, this is a legit city. Yeah. yeah. And so I fell in love ever since because yep. I love sunshine, and I love real estate, and I love cities. Yep. Um, the other popular group, or method or whatever is the Burr method. Are you guys familiar with the Burr method? I am. Yeah. That is a harder thing to do yeah. here also. So the Burr method is buy, reno, refi, repeat, right? Burr. And um, it's hard to find deals here. So I'll get yeah. people that call me and they're like, I want to find something that I can renovate. Oh, rent, repeat. That's what it is. Four, four yep. hours. Mm -hmm. um, I want to find something that I can renovate and then rent. And it's like, all right, that sounds cool, except you're not going to see that gain. When you refi, you're not going to be able to do it because there's uh, 75 or 80 LTV, depending on, yep. you know, who you're talking to. And you're not even going to see that 20% or 25% from your purchase because literally everything sells at market value right now. Yep. I don't care if you're wholesaling it. I don't care what you're doing it unless you're doing your own door knocking. But nowadays with information, people know what their property is worth. Yep. You know, yeah, Zillow's not perfect. Right. And it has its challenges, but that gives them a good ballpark. Yep. And yeah. it shows them that they can kind of look in their neighborhood and they may not know where to look out, but they can look on their street yep. and see that my neighbor sold for 500. So I'm probably close to there and you're offering me three. And that just seems not right. Right. Yeah. So that's another one that I get calls on. Yeah. That was kind of what we were modeling our duplex after. Yeah. But obviously, like we had just moved to Phoenix. We're from the Midwest where you're talking, right? Yeah. Not crazy appreci appreciation and stuff like that. So, we pivoted our strategy, but we were kind of modeling, renovating our unit while we were living there. And the plan was to move out and hold yeah. it. And, but we sold. But that's still smart because when, 
um, when you well, did we put no? You put a tenant in there, or they they marketed uh, it or yes. something. Yeah, and it was higher rent than the other side was making because yeah. it was it was a night. You guys did a good job. It was yeah. a nice and unit. Both of the units were grossly under market even at the yeah. time when we bought. So we kept the the current tenant kind of roughly. We we I think we went up from seven hundred to eight hundred, mm-hmm. but it was still under. And then we rented ours out for twelve hundred when we moved out. And then we sold like two months later. But yeah, we were getting quite a bit more money for that side. Yeah. So exactly. I think it would have worked if had we held the duplex, but. Right. Well, I think you were smart for yeah. leveraging that. Yeah. Because um, I don't like that duplex is on a main road. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that in a market like today where it shifted, that would be a hard sell. Yep. Yeah. Because yeah. of the main road. Like yeah. you took advantage of a good market. And, and I could see all the money coming into the market too of like yeah. if I tried to 1031 into something else because we had looked at duplexes and stuff yeah. and couldn't touch just, them. Couldn't t- uh, yeah, we didn't have the budget for it. So no, I think the pivot going yeah. into short term rentals was smart. Yeah. And then, you know, never know down the line, we sell those and we 1031 yeah, we, back we come into back. Yeah. multifamily yep. again. Yeah. So you can get into four units, right? With resident residential financing. Sometimes I'll put people into a four unit property. I'm like, go live in the grossest one and start renovating it. Especially when of. you're younger, right? Yeah. Without the kids. If you're yeah. not married, do it when you're younger. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Could you imagine your now baby yeah, crawling I know. around? You could still yeah. do it, right? And people do it out there, but yeah, yeah, it'd be a lot harder. Right. And so you can live in the grossest one. Yep. Start cleaning that up. Start, you know, laying new new flooring, painting the walls, putting in the cabinets. Put a new tenant in that at market value. Go into the next unit. Yep. Kick the old tenant out. Go back and start doing the same thing. And by the time you're done, you have a performing property at market value with market rents. And then you could be making your mortgage for free to yourself, right? Yeah. And then now it's probably been two years if you took advantage of FHA financing and you can go do it again and go put another down payment on another multi-unit up to four units and go rinse and repeat, right? Yeah. So what, like, what recommendations would you guys give people that are kind of, like, looking into, so, you know, someone calls me and they're like, I heard your podcast about house hacking. I Like, where do I even start? Mine may be a little unpopular, but I would say okay. be, be wary of that 1% bigger pockets rule, especially, you know, if you're coming to Carla in the Phoenix Valley area, because people, especially if you're starting out, people just have way deeper pockets than you do. So... That was our intention going into the duplex, knowing we we took a higher interest rate than at the time. Mm-hmm. We didn't take the best deal, but you just need to make sure it works for you and your situation. Make sure the numbers work for you and your goals. Right. So, it, you know, the 1% rule is nice to shoot for, but I would say just make sure it works for you and your life because right. we were paying the same dollar amount as our apartment, but I knew that the tax benefits we got, the experience that we got, all that stuff was valuable way beyond, you know, we weren't saving really any dollars at the time until we refied. But I would just say, make sure it works for you in your situation. It doesn't have to be a perfect deal, especially with your first couple. Right. And I think when you kind of shift that mindset of, yeah, I'm not getting free mortgage or cash flow. Like I know on bigger pockets, they'll talk about house hacking and like your cash flowing, your, yeah. your house The goal is to be zero or positive, right? right? But yeah, it doesn't right. have to be. It doesn't right. have to be. If you look at it from a mindset of, well, I was already paying $1,500 yeah. a month to live in an apartment. Why not live in my own apartment exactly. and pay five exactly. or a thousand? 
keeping money in my pocket and and what better way to learn how to be a landlord and decide if that exactly. if that is for you. If you're looking to grow, it's amazing experience. I mean, more valuable than my six-figure college education, hands <laughs> down. So a lot of, lot of stress, but right. amazing education. So yeah, I think uh, shooting for the 1% rule in a major city, a growing city is a bit unrealistic. Sure, it might grow into the 1% over some years as rent grows up, you know, over each year, you get a little bit of a bump in rent. It, it might grow into the 1%, but to find a 1% rule deal in a major city that has, you know, everybody want moving to, that's yeah. that's unreasonable. Like, I'm not going to say it's impossible, but yeah. you're Especially probably not going to get it. Out, yeah. Yeah. Um, another thing is house hacking. Every situation is different. Mm -hmm. So maybe a four unit. They're typically not in the best areas. You know, I'm going to use Phoenix as an example. They're typically not in the best areas. Okay, so maybe that's something you don't want your wife to live in a, a four unit because the neighborhood's not good or you have kids. Like, totally understandable. Maybe, you know, you look for a single family residential and it's got a casita, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe you, you Airbnb it. Maybe you plug a tenant in there. And sure, maybe it doesn't cover, you know, say your mortgage is $2,200, we'll say, right? And you can bring in fourteen hundred. Well, where else are you going to live in a three or four bedroom <laughs> right. house for you know six hundred bucks? Yeah, yeah, that's that's not going to happen. And when you do that, you're now getting landlord experience. Mm -hmm. And when you have that landlord experience, they can now moving forward count that rent towards an investment property, right? Mm -hmm. You know, some lenders they they won't count it, right? Unless you have landlord experience. Well, it's universal once you have a year, two years of landlord experience. And it counts as a house hack. You know, mm -hmm. you, you can use that. You have the lease. That clock starts running. So that opens up options. And now five years later, you know, you're still living in that house, but you have a lot of equity. Yeah. You can now tap into, you know, say it went up $100,000 in value. You can now take a HELOC and buy a four unit, buy a, you know, um, Airbnb property in upstate Arizona, whatever. You can leverage the real estate you already have to purchase more real estate. And that's the number one thing right. about real estate. Yep. Well, someone else helped you pay for that. Exactly. Right. Because you can do that even when you have paid for your own property. Yeah. But so a HELOC, a home equity line of credit. Right. Uh, a refi or even a sell and then leverage your funds. You become your own bank now. Right. Right. That is the beauty of real estate. You are literally tapping into your own equity, your own finances, money you put into it. It's your own savings account. Yep. Right. And then the tenants on the next property are paying that off, you know? Yeah. You're paying that down. So um, it just gets really powerful because then you can start borrowing against your own properties mm -hmm. instead of, you know, necessarily going for another, you know, loan in the bank or whatever. You can take a down payment from a HELOC and still borrow money from the bank, you know? Yeah. And that just, that your one just paid for your next two maybe, right? Yeah. Like Brandon, that, yeah. that's how it happened with you, right? Yep. So you went from one, now he's got two. Now he's yeah. got two, yeah. Now what is that two going to get him in a couple of years? Yeah. He's right. going to have four, eight. Right. It, yep. it gets pretty crazy once you, you yeah. get into the game. You got to get in. I think that sometimes people look at, call it bigger pockets again, for example, or other, you know, and they're like, man, that guy took down 200 units in a year. Like, how? That was going to be something else of just not comparing yourself to exactly. other people. We all have different goals. We all start at different points with money and everything. And yeah, it you get caught up in that. Right. You're never, you're not going to get far. I mean, 
Right. So. Yeah, because I get it. Even from this side, like, it's hard not to compare myself to other multifamily brokers, right? I love selling small units. Like, it's just, it's my jam. I love helping guys like you. I love new investors. Like, it's just a lot of fun. Yeah. Do I wish I was taking down a 250 yeah. unit property yeah, course, right now? Yeah, of course I do. That, right? right. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, yeah. yeah, I look at those guys sometimes, but you know, that's, I'm good at what I do and they're yeah. good at what they do. And you know, it doesn't mean we can't do it on both sides, but I think that if everybody kind of, if you become good at what you're doing, so if you're good at taking down small multifamily, if you're good at yeah. house hacking and kind of rinsing and repeating that model, then stick to it. Yeah. Yeah, those are great long-term goals. You don't yeah. know how leveraged some of those people are. Yeah. Right. And one turn in the market and they could lose everything. I mean, yep. that so I'm old enough to have lived through the crash yep. that happened and one of the things that happened was we were leveraged, over-leveraged, mm-hmm. right? As everybody yep. was. And so any tiny shift and we were all screwed. Yep. And that's where the crash happened, yep. right? Yep. So it's like yeah, you can't experience it, you know, uh, relate yourself to other people or try and compare yourself because the, every situation is different and everybody's comfort level yeah, is different. Exactly. Yeah. And some background, right? I spent two years from 2016 to 2018. All I did was research. That's yeah. it. I couldn't get in the market. I was trying to get partners. I, I was still in college at that point, so I didn't have a lot of money, but I spent two years just reading bigger pockets, podcasts, all this stuff, buying mm-hmm. books. Educating yourself, yeah. that's huge too. And the beauty of house hacking is there's no better way to learn. Exactly. After all that research, after yep. everything you did, you probably learned more in the first month oh, from yes. just doing it yep. than yeah. any any book ever taught Exactly, you. yep. Yeah. And then Brandon, so Brandon A. Yes. And so in North Carolina, you lived in a house and then you rented out the rooms. Why did I think you lived in a four unit? Nope, nope, not a four unit. Um, I lived in a four bedroom house that was kind of a value add. So it was in a good neighborhood. It was close to a university, just four bedrooms and needed new paint, needed new flooring, right? Right. It just needed to be cleaned up. Yeah. So um, yeah, purchased that. And uh, then in my, my spare time would paint the rooms, we stripped the flooring up and kind of forced the value up, you know, so um, at the time, you know, bought it for 85, put, you know, 6,000 into paint and flooring and stuff. And, uh, it was then worth, you know, 125. That's a lot. Which, mm-hmm. yeah, that's yeah. a good return on investment for, uh, you know, not having that much money. And again, right. I used the VA loan zero down, yeah. got my closing costs covered. Yep. So I was all into it, you know, like $6,000 and forced the value up. Right. Wasn't the four, four unit. I would have liked to have going back in time. I would have told myself, Hey, Right as my apartment lease was ending, I was like, okay, got to go look for one now. I should have took more time. I should have took three, four months. earlier. Hit up, found the agent, right? And I did find a good investment agent eventually, Shelby Osborne in Fayetteville. So great investment team. But it took a lot of searching through agents before I found, you know, the one. Right. Can't just be your sister's cousin's best friend. (laughs) Exactly. But we had a mutual client that... Had a four unit, Josh, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. And didn't they, they short-term rented a couple and then long-term rented a couple and kind of mixed it up that way too? Yeah. Um, that was in the same area as, as my house. He got four unit, best, best neighbor, four unit neighborhood in, in Fayetteville, close to Methodist. And 
he mixed it up. He's like, hey, I want to try this Airbnb thing. These leases are coming up. So mm-hmm. he remodeled the interiors, made them nice and pretty so people want to stay. And then he was killing it, mixing the Airbnb in with the long-term tenants. So imagine, like blow your mind, okay? You're in a four unit, right? And you're living in one and you've renovated. It's beautiful now. So now you put that one on Airbnb, VRBO, all the things, and you're short-term renting it. Meanwhile, your long-term tenants are still paying, helping pay your mortgage while you're renovating the units. And now you have like a mix of short-term rental and long-term rental and they're just all paying your mortgage. That's smart to do mixes. I was looking at four units, right? Most bang for your buck when we were first starting out. They're expensive though. They are expensive. I was looking at Wisconsin Ah. when I was first looking. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I didn't even think, I didn't even know what Airbnb was at that point. So Smart of your friend to do that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, kind of think outside the box. Yeah, exactly. What does a four-unit cost in Wisconsin? When I was looking, uh, we got one under contract. It didn't work out because of zoning issues, but like two forty. Wow, what did yeah. they rent for? I think they were going for like eight hundred a unit. That's not but bad. it was it was long term, I think. But yeah. yeah. It wasn't bad. But again, it's probably still only worth like two fifty, two sixty. Yeah, exactly. Point, yeah. Right? If we like, would have bought it, yeah. Yeah. You yeah, wouldn't have gotten worth, that yeah. appreciation. Yep. I kind of want to touch on something real quick. Yeah. Uh, talking about the four unit kind of brought up. Are you a, buying one? No. Yeah, I'm like, I have one. Eventually, I want to. Yeah, <laughs> I have some for sale. So with Josh, he he's a friend of mine. He's a client. Um, he Good bought a, a two unit in Fayetteville two, three months before that. And that listing agent then wound up listing a quadruplex. Mm-hmm. I immediately, and this quadruplex highly desired, over 10 offers being put on it. I said, hey, Steve, that was a listing agent. I'm like, you know my buyer's good. You know I'm good. You know he's not going to nickel and dime your seller. You know it's going to be a, a seamless transaction. It was a good property. And the reason he did that deal with us, of picking out of all the other offers, is because I had a working relationship with Steve, and he knew my buyer yeah. was good. So the importance of relationships and finding an agent, I guarantee you, we would not have got it. You know, there was people who there's 10 other people, the chances were pretty low. You know, yeah. it might have happened. Yeah. But because he knew and had trust in one, the yeah. other agent, and two, the buyer, because he had just closed the deal, he saw, you know, he was a good buyer. He knew that that was good for his seller. Right. 5,000%. Like, I can't stress the importance of that enough. Like, when you're hiring an agent, you're not just hiring them because they're licensed, right? Your sister's mother's cousin kind yeah. of thing. You're hiring them for their relationships. Like we already talked to it. We touched on like lender relationships, other agent relationships. Um, you know, that the fact that that seller knows that that transaction is going to go super smooth because you're professional, they're a good buyer is worth. Sometimes I've had offers accepted that where it's a lower offer. Yeah, taking less money. Yeah, yeah. just because they're like, I want stress-free and yeah. we can present stress-free to them. People yep. do not like stress or uncertainty. No. You know? Selling or buying a house <laughs> is already stressful enough. So right? when you can ease that, that, you know, yeah. innate fear then, you know, you can work a, a deal and that's critical to negotiating. You know? I had a seller on a five unit that took a $40,000 less offer just because I've worked with them before. Yeah. 40,000 bucks. He's like, because I don't know what the next guy's going to do. I don't know. why. Do you, have you worked with them? Nope. I don't know who he is. I can only go based on, based on, you know, their offer. And right. that, that's all I got. And $40,000 he turned down. Just to have a smooth transaction. Peace of mind. Yeah. And he wanted his tenants to have a smooth transaction. It was a completely filled 
occupied property and he didn't want his tenants to to have stress cuz that's another added component yeah. to any multifamily or investment property is if there is tenants in place there is a skill to not freaking them out yeah. yes cuz scared tenants can blow sales and make your life very difficult and and really it comes down to fear they're just scared they're scared their rent's going to go up yeah. they're scared they're yep. going to get kicked out probably have kids you know they their stuff's here their dog lives here yeah. you know it's it's worry change of any kind scares Everybody, right? right? So, so yeah. there is a there yeah. is a skill to that, to keeping everybody calm, right? Let's yep. just get through this sale. It's going to be fine. And then once it's transferred to the next owner, then you have no control over it. But yep. right. to keep everybody kind of in the loop and know what's going calm. on. Yeah. yeah. On our duplex, we didn't even see the other unit. We were like, I, never. Never. You didn't even inspect it? We had an inspector go through, but we didn't see it with our own eyes. We just... Because we knew we couldn't afford much else. So we're like, eh, we'll take it. Because we'll, the, <laughs> the, the pictures were not good. But we never stepped foot in the unit. Yeah. But I don't advise that to anybody. Hallelujah. Can we talk about pictures for a minute? Yeah. Okay. When I when I list a duplex or a, a, any multifamily property, I have ways of getting in there and taking photos without stressing out tenants because I have skills. I also use professional photography. Um, and it's one and done, right? The pictures yep. you see on the platforms I put them for sale are what it looks like. So you don't need to go in. It's very well um, depicted and you know what you're getting into. But I don't know if you've ever looked on the MLS or, you know, the syndicated sites like Zillow. I scratch my head on probably yes. a daily basis. How is anybody supposed to know yeah. what those units look like? I know. And then they wonder why that's not selling. Yep. Right. As the realtor, too. I get, you know, if it's a for sale by owner, you may not know the importance of right. pictures, but agents should know. Like, right. Like that's that sells part of why yeah. you're paying them to do their job. Yep. Right. And that just kind of gives them a bad name. So. All right. Any other t- house hacking, to- house hacking topics we want to. Yeah, let's let's talk about it. how to figure out. OK, yeah, I want a house hack. How do I know what the rent's going to be in the area? Oh yeah, that's a good topic. You so know, smart, Brandon. Because you gotta, you gotta, you gotta find the numbers. You know. Yeah. Yes, so how would you find them? I mean, aside from we had our own conversations. So of course, you have an agent. You can look at comps. You know, um, mm-hmm. rental comps. But and a good agent prints them for you and brings them to absolutely. Your appointment. Yes, they're gonna have that and they're like, hey, I know you're looking to house hack. This is what I think you can get for this casita, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe you go on Zillow. You start looking in the general neighborhood. Okay, you know what? I, I actually see some one-bedroom or two-bedroom apartments, and I've got a one- or two-bedroom casita, and it's going for a 1000 Mine's a little bit more done up. Okay, maybe go out, look a little further, see if you could find it. Oh, eleven, twelve hundred. Maybe you don't see that. So, But you do see that you can get a 1000 Well, go ahead. Try to maybe even list it a little higher. Go Try for 1100 1200 If you can get it, that's awesome. But... Run your numbers with the conservative estimate of a thousand, um, but you know sometimes it works out well where it's better than you anticipate. But you got to search for, you know those those comps, those comparables. Um, you gotta you gotta look and make sure. Okay, yes, this is a reasonable bet that I can get a thousand. You know you have to see that other people are listing it for that or it closed on the MLS. But the MLS isn't end all be all because nope. a lot of people don't put. There are rentals up on the MLS. A lot. So go to Zillow. Go to, you could even go to a, a rentometer, right? Mm-hmm. You can get a, a general idea. You can plug in the address and it'll tell you what you'll get for a, yeah. generally. 
you know, it's not perfect. Do, no. do your own search. Right. But, um, I even, I've even gone on Craigslist and just yeah. kind of started typing in like rental Mesa, rental, and just start to see. You can get an idea of the market. What's yeah. going on? What can I reasonably yeah. get? How old is that ad? Has that been sitting there for six months? Yeah. Well, then they are not getting that for that unit, yep, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's been the seven, 70 days, yeah. 80 days. And like, one of the things you said is importance that I always do, I stress this, is you have to run your numbers conservatively because you, you can't yeah. be chasing deals no just because you want to, right? Yeah. You gotta, have to be conservative and, and realistic with your numbers. Yeah, 100%. So I use Rentometer and I subscribe to their service. Is it fairly accurate? I find it to be, and it gives... 75%, 25%, 50%. So I tend to fall, I tend to be conservative yep. and go in the 25 to 50th percentile yep. and look at the 75% as kind of like the anomalies of, well, they maybe they had a pool or maybe yep. that was nicely redone yeah. or something. So I run those numbers pretty conservatively and I put them in the MLS under documents. Yeah, yep. nice. Yeah, I know. That's good. Packaged. That's right. Yeah, it makes like, I'm like, I know what I'm doing. Yeah, exactly. So to wrap up, Tell everybody how they can get a hold of you. Brandon A., if they want to buy properties in North Carolina, we still have the hookup, right? Yeah, absolutely. I'm licensed in Arizona and North Carolina. So if you want to get in touch with me, you could Google Brandon Andriola. You'll see me pop up on Bigger Pockets, Connected Investor. You'll see my Instagram pop up. I should be there, Facebook. Or you could at Brandon Andriola. And yeah, reach out. Happy to have a conversation and uh Help Especially you out with your VA situation. buyers. Yeah. VA buyers, yeah. He's my go-to yeah, Utilize guy. that if you have VA. Yeah. Utilize that. Absolutely. And then Brandon K., how do people rent your your short-term rentals? How do they contact you? Um, so I have, it's just on the Airbnb app, um, but we're looking to possibly expand to our own website. But then you can just reach out to me. I think it's K Properties Group mm-hmm. on Instagram. Just DM me and I can get you links. And if you want to reach out, have a conversation about real estate. I love talking real estate all the time. So all the time, all day long. Yep. Thanks, guys. This was so much fun. Thank you. Yeah, I was this so was great. happy to have I you had here. A blast. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it was great. You've been listening to Smashing Through Walls, a place for robust conversations about the building and blocks of Arizona commercial and real estate investments. Host Carla McGee is a commercial real estate broker with MHG Commercial, powered by my home group. The opinions expressed here are not necessarily the opinions of my home and do not constitute any offer or advertisement of business or services. The real estate market is cyclical and listeners assume all responsibility should any return on investment, tax consequences, credit effects, or financing terms not meet their expectations. Guests may not be qualified to provide financial, legal, or tax advice regarding a real estate transaction. Listeners are advised to obtain professional tax and legal advice and counsel. 